Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and hey, we're happy to have you here today. Got an exciting announcement. Many of you have been asking about a workshop where you can go deeper with the Enneagram. So guess what? Your wishes have come true. It's called the Luminous Conference, and it's a two-day Enneagram intensive that Ian will be hosting with master Enneagram teacher Beatrice Chestnut. Beatrice is a good friend of Typologies, and that's one of the reasons why we want to re-air this episode today. Beatrice is a master teacher, and you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Now, Ian is going to expound upon the Luminous Conference, give you more detail in the middle of this episode, so stay tuned for that as well. So without any further ado, let's get on to this great conversation with Beatrice Chestnut featuring your host... Ian Crom. Beatrice Chestnut, welcome to Typology. Thanks for having me, Ian. Um, as I've told you before, like um, I am such a fan of your work. I tell everyone <clears throat> that after you know, if they've read the road back to you, which is a primer, you know, it's just an introduction. Uh, to to the Enneagram. And, and when they ask me, well, can, where do I go to get the deeper stuff? And I say, well, there's a lot of great books out there. But in my opinion, the finest comprehensive work on the Enneagram is your book, The Complete Enneagram, 27 Paths to Greater Self-Knowledge. Wow, thank you. That's high praise. And I, I'm a fan of your book, too. So I really I appreciate that you found value in my book. One of the reasons I found value in your book, by the way, is because I, for the longest time, vacillated between thinking I was a three, a four, or a seven. Mm. And in fact, and I know people have different opinions about, you know, assessments, etc. I, I, I think they're useful in as much as they get people into the conversation. Um, and of course, you know, reading extensively, going to workshops is really the way to get at it. But yeah. it was learning about self-preservation force in your book. And there was one phrase that, that you know, there's a penny drop, you know, that the moment. And it was the phrase unredeemably deficient. Mm. that fours feel unredeemably deficient. And I thought, that is the feeling I remember from the time I was a little kid, you know, until today. And I thought, that that's no more. I don't need to look anywhere else, <laughs> you know. And, and, <laughs> and that I think you even say in the book that sometimes uh, that subtype can look like a three or a seven. Yeah. Uh, and so, boy, I owe, I owe knowing my number to Beatrice Chestnut. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. There is one of the three fours, the three kinds of fours, the three four subtypes that does, doesn't really look like a four and can look like a three. So it makes sense that it might, might have been hard for you in the beginning. Yeah. Well, it sure was. And you cleared it right up. So a great debt of, uh, of gratitude. You are an Enneagram 2, the helper... Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what what uh, moniker you give to them in your, you know, in your book. Some people call them the giver, um, right? 
And I'm thrilled because you're the first two, Enneagram Type 2, to be on typology. So I want to learn all about twos today. I want our folks to know just a ton about them before we we uh, we get off the show today. Tell us about Enneagram 2s. Uh, well, I'm really happy to talk about uh, my type generally, but also to talk about type 2 because I think that there are a lot of misconceptions uh, out there about 2s. And I think it starts from the name that's typically given to 2s, which, like you said, is the helper or the giver. Um, You may have noticed in my book and the complete Enneagram, I actually don't use the labels very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but I do think for people who are new to the Enneagram, they are helpful in that they kind of give you uh, some sort of label to hang your new knowledge on to kind of start to understand uh, what the personality type is like. Um, However, it's funny, lately, I've, I've become fond of the word the befriender. Um, for the two, because the thing about the two is while they do, they they are helpful and they do endeavor to uh, sense what other people need and, and, and give people what they need sometimes before they've even asked for it. um, It's also, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a complicated giving. It's not exactly an uncomplicated, always an altruistic helping Although when, when twos first find their type and they don't know about it very much, they can seem like, well, I just want to help people, you know, in kind of a straightforward way. And many times it is altruistic giving. Many times twos are very, very generous uh, and it really comes from the heart. However, it's, uh, with twos, it's mainly a strategic giving. In other words, for me as a two, um, what I feel like is is most prominent in my experience is the desire to be liked. Uh, so I feel a kind of a sense of safety and well-being when I feel like everybody around me likes me or approves mm. of me. Uh, so the helping for me is one of many tools I use. And again, all of this is very unconscious uh, before you study the Enneagram. Um, one of many tools I knew I, I used to engender liking, to uh, m- to charm people, to uh, give people the impression that I'm a person that they want to be around, that they want to be connected to. Uh, so twos, as as you know, are are one of three types based in the heart center. Uh, so this is a fundamentally emotional type as opposed to the three types based in the head or the three types based in the body or the belly center. Uh, Twos, threes, and fours are heart types. And so for all three of these types, there was usually some sort of experience in childhood of getting a message that you, you know, and again, you know, sometimes these messages are complicated the way they're given and received, but there's kind of a message that twos, threes, and fours get that they aren't loved for who they essentially are, but for something they do or a way of being that engenders uh, approval. So Mm. for two, but of course they experience this in three different ways. Threes end up, you know, getting the message that you're, you're admired for being successful or accomplishing things, doing a lot. Fours uh, have the, get the message on some level that they are loved or appreciated for being unique and special in their own specific ways. And for twos, it's about uh, being likable, being supportive of others, uh, doing things for others. And so um, there's a way that 
choose focus very much on relationships. And mainly, I would say the absolute main focus for me is, and, and again, one of the things I like about the Enneagram is it's based on where does your attention go? Um, mm-hmm. What do you pay attention to the most? You know, what do you think about the most? What do you, what, where, where, what do you tend to pay attention to? And of course, our energy follows attention. So whatever we're paying attention to gets uh, a lot of energy from us. And for me, it's I'm always focused on other people. Uh, so how are other people feeling? Um, what's the status of our connection? Um, are we in a good rapport? Are people liking what I'm doing? Um, things like that. And so a lot of my focus is around how to improve or create a positive uh, rapport or relationship with other people, and especially important people, especially people that I think are going to, if I'm supportive of them, they'll be supportive of me in reciprocal fashion. Uh, now yes. that, that reciprocal thing is, can be very unconscious for twos. This is the giving to get. Um, right. and, and again, if you're brand new to the Enneagram and you, you learn you're a two, um, sometimes this feels a bit strange because again, on a conscious level, often twos are really genuinely trying to be helpful and supportive of others and, uh, just enjoy people and are interested in people. And so, you know, it can feel sort of straightforward, but, uh, there is a sense in twos that they often got a message early on that they're, needs weren't okay. In other words, their needs didn't get met somehow by their early environment, often term, often in terms of emotional needs. And so there can be a sense of, in order to get my needs met, I need to meet your needs or, the, you know, of course, in early life, the needs of my, my caregivers. And if I can take care of you, then you'll take care of me. Um, mm. And so that's a big thing in twos that can be very unconscious in the beginning um, it can just feel like, well, I don't really have a need right now, but I, you know, I'm here to provide for your need because I want to be helpful and I want to be supportive and I want to be connected to you and I want to be someone who's important to you. Mm. So the, <clears throat> you you made me think of, of just two things. One is um, there is a, a friend of mine named Kurt Thompson, a, 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 a psychiatrist, a really brilliant guy, and he he has a mantra that I think is fantastic. He says, "Pay attention to what you pay attention to." Yes. I think that's a sort of a wonderful uh, sort of piece of advice for every single type on the Enneagram, you know, to notice where does my attention migrate to in any given situation or moment. Right. Uh, Because, again, you're right. The energy is going to start flowing in that direction. And uh, so you'd best know (laughs) where it is that that it's heading. So, So you're describing someone that, to me, when I hear about their passion, or as some people might say, Richard Rohr might call it a, a deadly sin, but their passion is pride. And you, they, the, the appearance is a real selflessness and generosity. Where does that – how does pride fit into the, the, the world of the two? Why is, it that, why is that their passion? So um... – so this is, I'm really glad you brought this up early because pride is the, sort of the, the passion of the two, which is a central emotional motivating factor within the personality. It's kind of everything sort of built around it, but it can often be very unconscious. And the thing about pride is I think of all the passions of all the nine types, it's in some ways the trickiest Uh, And it can be the hardest to understand because kind of like you're saying, pride is a synonym for sort of a positive experience, something like like feeling good about yourself. 
uh, and twos can present in a very selfless way. They can present in a very as generous people who really want to give to others in 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 a way that's that's very lovely. Um, however, pride, what it basically refers to, and, and again, one of the things that I think is very interesting about pride is on the one hand, it doesn't sound that bad, right? It sounds like it's, you know, it's, it's a good, it's synonymous with something good. Uh, but at the same time, and, and I do want to say all of the passions of all the nine types are, are equal in a certain way. You mm-hmm. know, all of the types are equal. All of, every person can be, has an equal, um, you know, access to higher development and also being stuck in personality. Um, but in Dante, and I've, I've done a study of Dante's divine comedy, um, and the Enneagram, um, pride is the worst sin. Mm-hmm. That's um, right. It's at the lowest pit of hell. It's, it's the sin of Satan, Right. right? And so it's, it's the sin of, um, you know, say, what was Satan's sin? It was saying I in the face of the only one. Right. Right. So pride is a kind of, in twos, I experience it, it's, it's like a need to see yourself in a really positive light, a need to see yourself as having all the answers of being able to detect what other people need, of not having any needs yourself. And so as you can start to see, even though there's a selfless presentation in twos, there's a way that twos are unconsciously, and I really want to stress unconsciously here because twos absolutely often don't know they're doing it until they study themselves with something like a tool like the Enneagram, but they're unconsciously putting themselves above others. Um, and sometimes even God in a certain way, because twos can have a sense of like, I know what's best for people. Uh, I know what you need before you even know it. And again, sometimes as twos, we do know what other people need because we are very empathic and we do tune into what other people need. Again, partly as a survival strategy for ourselves, the more I can figure out what you need and give it to you so that you'll be supportive of me, that's that's part of how I've coped in life. Um, however, um, all the types have a shadow, all the types, you know, there's a, there's a, a sort of a, a shadow element to the passion. And for the two, it can be this, this unquestioned sense of, I know what you need better than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so twos, even though on the one hand, um, twos need, you know, providing for others or being supportive of others can be very, uh, altruistic and selfless and generous. It absolutely can be. There's another way when twos are not very conscious of what they're doing, they're not paying attention to what they pay attention to, that they can, um, in a subtle way, uh, sort of see themselves as having the answers for other people, of knowing what's best for others better than they do for themselves, and sometimes imposing that on others, which in a way that can be intrusive. Uh, so the downside can be sort of having a, an ex, a feeling of like, well, I don't have any needs. In other words, other people don't have anything to give to me because I don't have any needs. Mm-hmm. And again, twos tend to be unconscious of their needs. It's not that they don't have needs. It's that when you ask a two, what do you need? Oftentimes it's hard for them to provide an answer. It's hard to tap into ourselves, partly because our attention is so focused on the outside. It's so focused on you on other people. And one of the things about that I love about the Enneagram is not only does it say, where does your attention go? And that's the important thing, but it also points out that when your attention is going in one place, there's somewhere else where it isn't. 
because we can't pay attention to everything at once. That's an amazing statement, I just, I, which I also want to circle back to because I think what I hear you saying in that is what you pay attention to determines what you miss. Right. It, it determines your blind spot, yes. in other words. Yes. Okay, unpack that a little bit more because that's huge. Yes, that is huge. You're absolutely right. So, you know, we're, we're often very conscious of what we pay attention to and often what we pay attention to becomes an area of strength. Uh, but the Enneagram says that we, you know, the theory behind the Enneagram says that we overdo our strengths uh, and we don't, we don't, and when we don't know what we don't know, mm-hmm. we don't realize what we're not paying attention to. And so the beauty of the Enneagram is it's a map that shows us both what we tend to pay attention to, but also what we don't tend to pay attention to, mm. what our blind spots are, uh, what's unconscious. Okay. Now I'm going to take us off on a little bit of a tangent because that's such a powerful idea. Well, let's start with twos. What is it that twos miss? So, um, so on the view screen, you know, what we are paying attention to is the people around us, right? And especially important people, people we like, people we, um, that might, you know, be powerful people, people who uh, will be able to be there for us, will be able to provide for our needs that we just like to be around and want to be connected to. Um, so that's what's in our, on our view screen. You know, how can I connect with you? How can I align with you. And, and twos are shapeshifters. Um, and twos, in other words, um, if I want to connect with you, I will sort of read you and feel into what do you need and what do you like and how can I emphasize the parts of me that will align with you and de-emphasize the parts of me that won't, right? So part of what's in the blind spot for twos is the fact, especially in the beginning of studying the Enneagram, is the fact that we're doing that is the fact that we are shape-shifting, that we are... Uh, now, sometimes we can be conscious of parts of that, uh, but what often we don't, we aren't very conscious of is the fact that we lose touch with who we really are. So it becomes so important to connect with others uh, that we can sometimes uh, shift and change our presentation to align with certain people uh, and de-emphasize other parts of who we are, disown parts of you know what makes us us, in a way that we don't really see. So on the one hand, we can what can be in our blind spot is who we really are, a sense of self, um, how we really feel, what we really need. When I first started working on myself, when I was in my early 30s and working with the Enneagram, um, if you would ask me, what are you feeling? You know, my answer would often be, I don't know. If you would ask me what I need, like in the moment, I would not know. Um, and so that's a blind spot, right? What's going on internally? To, to fo- attention is so focused outside themselves on others. Uh, and different types are focused inside themselves versus outside themselves. But two is a very other-focused type. And so my, my, where my attention isn't is inside myself. So that's one, one area of blind spot. Another mm-hmm. blind spot is, can be the effects of sort of the negative side effects of our main survival strategy right? So Mm -hmm. being helpful to others. And this is where I think sometimes uh, with some of the types, some of their characteristics are actually rewarded by society and by people around us. And so it, it, which can be not very helpful. In other words, we're, we're praised for being helpful sometimes. And so then we think, well, I got to do more of that because it's getting praised. However, sometimes what's, what's in two's blind spot is how actually it might not be good for them to be helpful. Maybe the other person doesn't need help, 
Maybe we're just wanting to think they need our help so that we can ingratiate ourselves or find a way to make a connection that we need, you know, but we can be unaware of the fact that we're actually doing it for ourselves. So this is where the selfless thing, we, we can think we're being selfless, uh, but really uh, we're giving to get. Really, there's a way that I'm being helpful to you so that you will like me or so mm. that you will help me if I need it down the road. Um, and so this can be a blind spot, this way that the giving is strategic and not just uncomplicated and altruistic. Um, and also, I think the, 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 real, the parts about uh, being how helping can be control. Uh, twos, when I first, so when I first learned my Enneagram type in about 1990, um, I read about the two, uh, my, an Enneagram teacher that I knew pointed me in the direction of two and I read it and it absolutely blew my mind. It was, um, I, I could never have imagined that something could describe me so clearly to myself. Um, I wasn't that interested in typologies only because they just didn't seem like they could ever be that helpful. But with the Enneagram, it felt like it was completely different. And one of the things I read about myself that I didn't like uh, was that twos can be manipulative. And so I want to say, if you're new to the Enneagram, I think you, you really want to be on guard for the fact that when you, read, when you do find your type, sometimes you're going to read about things that you don't like. Because when we have our blind spots exposed to us, uh, it can it can be painful. We're defending against knowing some of these deeper truths about ourselves um, because they're in our shadow, they're in our blind spot. It's a reason that there's a reason they're there. But for me, that it was a huge eye-opening experience because the first reaction I had was, of course, defensive and self-protective. I thought, well, I'm not manipulative. That sounds like a bad word, and I'm nice. You know, I'm I'm just I, my intention is always to be good, very good to people. Uh, but when I really thought about what manipulation means uh, and that it's about moving things around behind the scenes to get what you want in an indirect way, when I really thought about it that way, I thought, wow, I do that all the time. Uh, and the reason I was doing that all the time, and I still do it sometimes now, but I try not to, is that for twos, it's really hard for us to ask for what we need directly. Because more mm -hmm. than anything else, twos avoid rejection, right? If you're all about making connections with people, the thing that you really avoid is, is being disapproved of or having someone say, I don't like you, I don't want to be in a relationship with you. So I was always avoiding that. So if, when, you, when you want something from someone with twos, again, very unconsciously without realizing they're doing it, will often go about trying to charm them into it or giving them something so they'll get something back or just trying to create the conditions around which they might get something uh, that they want. And, and the, the important thing to, for twos to recognize is that there's a blind spot there about being manipulative, about the fact that being helpful is sometimes about uh, being controlling. Um, uh, trying to get right. something the, for yourself. So, Beatrice, I think you know one of the, another phrase that I really like is that most of us refuse to know what we know. <laughs> you know, mm. I mean, we we often that's sort of what denial is, right? We we just refuse to know. We keep in the periphery of our or just beyond the fence line of awareness certain truths about ourselves that we really don't want to face, um, and we really don't want to you know, necessarily stop because so far they're working for us. At least they are in our, our own mind, our, our way of being in the world. And um, so my question too for you is you are the 
kind of the I would say the preeminent sort of person who speaks beautifully about subtypes. Um, I've spoken a little bit about them on on typology, and well, I don't think we have to go. You know, in, well, let me put it this way: in as, in as concise a fashion as you know how, because I know it's hard. Describe the subtypes, and then tell us about the subtypes of twos. Okay. So the subtypes are uh, a, a deeper level of type description, um, and it's another breakdown into three. So um, as people may know, there are three centers of intelligence, the head, the heart, the body that we all have, but then depending on what type you are, you come from or you live from one of those three centers more than the other. Um, and so, so there are three types in each center, giving nine types. And then for each of the nine types, there's another breakdown into three, which there are three versions of each of the nine types based on which of one of three basic instinctual drives is dominant in your experience. And so these three instinctual drives that for all of us are based in our belly center uh, and they're connected to the reptilian brain, which we all have, right? We all have a reptilian brain, an instinctual brain, a limbic brain or an emotional brain that's, you know, sort of represents the heart center and also the neocortex, the thinking brain. So we have all three. Uh, When we're talking about the reptilian brain or the instinctual impulses, this is the animal part of ourselves. Uh, We all have this, we're animals as human beings, that's part of us. Uh, And the animal nature, the animal wisdom speaks to us through our instinctive reactions. And these are very quick reactions, very automatic, and they're oriented toward keeping us alive, toward survival and and the perpetuation of the species. So the three basic subtypes are for self-preservation, for survival, for, we call it social relationships or the social instinct, which is for getting along with the group, or I like to say of the herd with the herd. So if we think of these as animal instincts, you know, part of what helps you survive in the world is being connected to other people, to a family, uh, for animals, to the herd, uh, and this is this supports your survival. And then the third one is what I call one-to-one bonding. Um, and I sometimes use the uh, the term sexual instinct, which I think describes it best. Sometimes I use it in terms of one-to-one bonding instinct. Uh, but it basically means the same thing, a kind of instinct for connecting with a particular other individual, again, in support of survival and the perpetuation of the species. So for, for each of the nine types, depending on which of these three, and again, we have all three instincts in us, but which of the three is dominant? Uh, And usually there's one that dominates your experience that you kind of overdo, uh, one that's sort of a secondary, that's sort of in there, but it's less prominent. And then a third one, which is repressed. So we're actually kind of keeping it at bay energetically. And these are biological drives. So they're basically energies within us, very automatic, instinctual energies. So um, if you are, say you have a self-preservation dominant uh, experience, like I do as a two, uh, that's going to make it's, it makes you a more specific kind of two. There's even a more specific focus and even more nuanced description of what your particular focus is. So it's almost as if two and all the types kind of break down into, okay, there are three kinds of twos and, and understanding the subtype level, these three different versions of your type, 
gives you an even deeper understanding of your most automatic and unconscious reactions to things. And so again, the Enneagram is just, it's a map to help you be more aware of your patterns. And this is another layer of uh, especially automatic reactions. Mm. So what I'm hearing you say, just for the sake of maybe illustration, you know, let's say I'm, uh, I've just discovered I'm uh, a four and, uh, you know, but maybe I'm not so sure. It's a little blurry, but I'm pretty sure I'm a four. What I can do is I can to sort of go the next layer down. In other words, like you know, when you go to the doctor's office, you have your eyes checked, and uh, he goes, "Is that is that clear? Is that blurry?" And then he goes, he drops another lens down. He goes, "Is that clear?" Right. You know? Yes. So it's, you know, the subtype sort of is like we drop another lens, and it it goes, oh, that's clearer. Yes. Um, that so now it's not just generic to now it's you know I'm getting a level of specificity that I just didn't have before. So tell me about twos in in each of those different subtypes, and in you know yours in particular, since that's your you know your subtype. Help twos know which maybe one of those subtypes they might be. Sure. Yes. And you're absolutely right that that looking at the subtype level helps with finding your type. So this is important, especially because there's one of each of the three subtypes for each type that is what we call a counter type that looks a little bit different than the main type, um, what we normally think of that type looking like. So this can be really crucial to finding your type. Um, So for me, for for the twos, this and again, the part of what we're talking about here is kind of an alchemical mixture of two, the two patterns and, and the passion of pride with this dominant instinct with each mm-hmm. of the three. So for the self-preservation two, um, and there's a lot to say, so I'll try to make this um, succinct. For the self-preservation two, if basically the three twos are kind of, they, they demonstrate three different strategies and three different focuses when it comes to charming people or seducing people into meeting their needs. Right. Wow, yeah. so, so again, it's if you're a person that sort of learned, okay, it's not okay to have needs, but I've got to survive in the world. How do I get my needs met? It's through, uh, you know, charming others in a specific way uh, to like you, love you, meet your needs. Um, and so the three twos do it in three different ways. Um, the self-preservation too, interestingly, and, 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 and by the way, these are, it can be very unconscious patterns. When I first encountered the description of self-preservation too, I didn't think it fit me at all because I didn't want to, because my pride wanted me to, I, I wanted people to see me in a certain positive light, right? So twos need to remember this, that they're always going to, they have to really do a little work sometimes to really see, okay, mm. am I really like this? Because twos, self-preservation twos seduce almost like the child, like a child in the presence of grownups. So if you've ever seen a really, really cute little girl, little boy, um, they're, they're really easy to love, right? They're really easy to like because they're, you know, they're kids. And, and there's a way that everyone loves babies, everyone loves children for a reason because they uh, tend to be very ad- easily adorable. So it's almost like the self-preservation too, uh, often who has an experience of not getting everything they needed in childhood, wants to sort of stay young as a way of continuing to get special treatment that comes with childhood. So in other words, being cute, um, being the teacher's pet, uh, mm. being someone who's fun-loving and humorous and playful, 
all these sort of good things that um, this, again, that this self-preservation too unconsciously does to as a way of um, getting needs met by others. So in other words, I'm going to be so irresistible and so fun and so fun to be around that you're just going to want to be my friend. You're going to want to be in my life. You're going to want to take care of me. Yeah. You're going to want to meet my needs. You're going to want to meet my needs. Right. And the, and the self price too is a two that's a little more fearful uh, than the other twos. And again, which fits with being young, you know, kind of taking a stance of being young and cute, um, can be a little bit more irresponsible, um, is ambivalent about relationships sometimes. Like I want to be connected to you, but I'm also a bit more guarded. I'm also a bit more like, I don't necessarily want to give to you all the time. So when I first learned the Enneagram and it was, there was all this huge emphasis on helping, uh, I didn't really relate to it because while sometimes I wanted to help people, I was very aware of not wanting to help people. Like sometimes I want to be helped myself or I want to be alone or I mm. want support from somebody else or I just don't want to exhaust myself with giving. So with the self-preservation too, there's a little bit more of a focus on what, what get, all that giving takes away from you and how you really do want some more for yourself. Although again, that can be unconscious in the beginning. Now the social two is very different. The social two is a more adult two. Uh, I think of the social two as the power two. And this is a two that, again, if we're thinking about the social instinct and how that mixes with pride, this, this is someone who likes to uh, be influential with large groups of people, who is more of a powerful person that seduces groups. And so in order to seduce groups and more on a larger scale, uh, you need to be important, competent, uh, more of a leader type, more of a powerful person, someone who's connected to powerful people. Uh, and so social two can look a little bit like eight, which is a type that's more powerful, that's more strong, uh, get, gets a lot done, works really hard. Um, so this, the social two is a little bit more like that. And they can often mistake themselves for threes or eights because they can be very competent and get a lot done. Uh, and and be sort of a more powerful leader type person. Yeah, in fact, I, I, I would say that that um, in, in one of the most ambitious people I've ever met in my life was a social two. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think when people don't know that, that the Enneagram subtypes in the approach that I present, sometimes they don't realize that social twos can be very ambitious and very strong and powerful. And, and, and I, I've see, I see them get mistyped as threes a lot because people will say something like, well, this person is so successful, they must be a three. Well, twos can, social twos can be very successful and really driven you know, mm. to, to work very hard and get a lot done. Okay, sexual twos. Sexual twos, um, this is someone who is more engaged in um, classical forms of seduction. Um, so this is someone who's really good at flirting, someone who's really uh, fun-loving and a kind of a really, uh, really good at working the room, uh, really good at focusing in on how do I make a connection with this one other person that I want to make a connection with. And oftentimes they, they do that through being very generous, uh, being expressing you know, positive affection, um, but very uh, skilled at um, and very focused on relationship, on partnership. Um, it can be very, very focused on a partner. If, if, the, if a relationship ends, it can feel devastating because so much of their energy is focused on uh, maneuvering uh, themselves into relationship with a, an important other person, on how that relationship is going, 
um, using all the tools they may have at their disposal to charm people. Uh, and like I said, really good at flirting, really good at that kind of bringing people in through being fun and, and special and attractive. Uh, and I've, I've often been a bit envious of some of my sexual two friends who I feel like work the room at a party much better than I do. You know, they're very good at being really more open and friendly and uh, just doing whatever it takes to really make a connection. Whereas I can feel as a self-preservation too, I can feel a little more shy, uh, a little bit more worried about what are they going to think of me um, and not as outgoing and as really forward moving toward people as the sexual two can be. Hmm. So one question I have for you, because you're a business consultant, you do a lot of work with people who are in leadership. Um, what are twos like at work or in, in, in leadership positions? Well, I think twos can be excellent leaders. Um, I think what they're very good at is is the relationship part of work. I mean, and I, and I think twos see work through the lens of relationships. Um, so uh, twos know very well that um, if you have a good relationship with someone, your your work is going to go better. And so uh, they, you know, and again, all the strengths that go along with that, uh, at being able to be good mentors to people, being able to provide support where it's needed, being able to create good working relationships, being able to see other people's strengths uh, and higher potentials and help them manifest that. Um, all of these things I think twos are very good at. Um, and, and also being for the team or being for the organization, um, really uh, understanding what's needed to move things forward, um, especially at the level of people. Uh, at, at, they're very good at doing this at not, not letting fe- people's feelings and needs and, uh, and, and uh, other things get in the way of, get, get sort of uh, pushed aside in the favor of tasks and things like that. So bringing in that people element. Um, I think sometimes on the downside, um, leaders, two leaders can struggle with uh, giving direct feedback to others, um, saying when something's not working, expressing their own needs uh, as something that's going to need to happen. If you're working with others, you're going to need to tell them what they what you need. And twos can sometimes have a harder time with that. It's kind of a blind spot. And so twos, and also it can be hard to give candid feedback because twos are so empathetic with others. Sometimes if they have to give you some constructive criticism, it can be hard and they can sugarcoat it to the point where you don't even get the message. Uh, so it's important for twos to learn when they're leaders to be more direct and to be able to give uh, negative feedback as well as positive support. So as we kind of move toward our end on twos, I mean, if you're if you're a two out there, or if you know a two, I mean, this is so rich. I mean, you guys are getting it from you know just a, a an Enneagram Jedi. <laughs> you're getting this <laughs> wow, from Beatrice Chestnut, Enneagram Jedi. So let's say I'm a two. You, well, actually, I wanted to actually hit on this. You know, we we just did a show with a, a woman who's an eight, specifically because I think culturally, women eights have a harder go of things. Um, yeah. And I think male twos, like women eights, have a hard go of things. We tend to associate that that two energy, that the way that they self present, uh, as a female value, right? Right. So, tell me a little bit about male twos. Right, right. I think I think it's really good that you're asking about this uh, because I think it's you're absolutely right. I think sometimes 
because the, the two is a kind of a feminine archetype, there's a way that male twos can feel uncomfortable in it. And sometimes what I find is they don't identify with the type two. They identify more with three or with eight. And, you know, three is a wing type of two. So there's, it's right next door. Um, there's also an important arrow line between two and eight on the diagram. And so there are connections there. And so I think, first of all, male twos can mistype themselves because it may be uncomfortable for them to identify with the archetype of being the giver. Um, other times I find that, that, that men do identify with the two archetype, but it, it is, it can be a little bit of, uh, difficult uh, thing at first for them to see themselves in the role of, of someone who's a support person, which is in some ways a, a quintessentially female role. Uh, but I think that it, you know, again, as with any type and any person, if you can really understand yourself and understand what's comfortable to, for you to own and what's uncomfortable for you to own, uh, you're really doing the work. And I think uh, male twos can often be uh, really very powerful leaders, actually, because they can often tap, they, they have a natural ability to be more emotionally intelligent, for instance. You know, men in our culture tend to be uh, socialized to not be in touch with their feelings, whereas uh, twos are naturally more in touch with feelings. And so that can be a really positive thing when a, and when a male two really embraces uh, what's positive about their uh, personality style. Mm. So as we're coming to a close, one of the things I like to do at the end of, of, of every episode is give the number that we're, we're discussing a, just a, maybe a transformational tip or two. So maybe one, if a two came to you and said, you know, I'm just getting started on the journey toward wholeness, toward, you know, understanding myself, becoming my best self, what's the first thing I have to do? Mm. Um, well, uh, I, I'd say two things. One is um, start really, really paying a lot of attention to what you need. Uh, when I was first working on myself, I would have as a mantra, like, what do I need right now? What do I need mm. right now? You know, and it's okay. And, and, and you need to do it with a lot of uh, c- compassion, self-compassion, and no judgment. You know, and it's okay if you don't know at first, you know, make it more okay, make it really okay to, to have the answer be, I don't know. So getting in touch with needs and also getting in touch with your own sense of self is really mm. important for twos to really get in touch with their feelings just, and, and with a lot of acceptance, self-acceptance, you know, that it's okay to have whatever feelings you have. Oftentimes we twos uh, get a lot of feedback when we're growing up that we're too sensitive or we're too emotional. Uh, and so I think it's really important to start to realize it's actually a strength to be emotionally sensitive uh, and that it's really just about learning to understand and accept your feelings and and then ultimately learn to manage them as well because two sometimes can repress their feelings and sort of not be in touch with them, but then they can also overdo feelings and get you know really resentful or angry or sad or whatever it is. And it can be uncomfortable for us twos to be with a lot of emotion. And so I think getting more comfortable with your own feelings, seeing them as a source of strength. And, and also with respect to that, I, for me, when I, at a certain point in my life, I really needed to have more time alone. So I think for twos, 
uh, especially if you're, say, in a big family or, you know, you've got a lot of people depending on you, it's really important to make sure that you have time by yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. Because for a two, as soon as there's someone else in the room, as soon as we're not by ourselves, everything changes. Right. The whole focus of our attention changes. And so make sure that you have a lot of time by yourself. Uh, sometimes it's good for someone to sort of recognize when they need to live alone if they're not, you know, married or in a family and that they, that, that getting time by yourself really allows you to bring your attention in to be more focused on learning about yourself and understanding and, and building up an internal, stronger sense of your, of who you are and how you feel and what you need. So everybody, this is Beatrice Chestnut, um, really one of the foremost experts on the Enneagram in the world, really. And uh, she has two amazing books, The Complete Enneagram, 27 Paths to Greater Self-Knowledge, which is, as I said, my... I mean, if you all saw my copy, I'm going to actually send it out on social media. My copy of your book is so worn out. It is (laughs) ridiculous. And by the way, uh, can I just say this right now? You know, I... I use so much from your your book. I just need to get a general blessing that every time I mention something that you mentioned that isn't at length, can I just, just have blessing of attribution from you? Absolutely. Because I tell you, I just use it constantly. Secondly, your, your newest book, Nine Types of Leadership, Mastering the Art of People in the 21st Century Workplace. Also, I've read it, a terrific book. Beatrice, you're a rock star. I mean, you just held forth so articulately about twos that I'm not sure, you know, anyone out there, if they were wondering if they were a two or not, that I'm sure they know now. And I'm so (laughs) grateful to you. Thank you so much, Ian. I really, really appreciate uh, that feedback and your support and and the work you're doing in the world. Because I think, you know, I'm so passionate about the Enneagram and the whole project of personal growth. And so I really, really appreciate uh, knowing you and being being a being a fellow traveler with you thank you so much and uh we will have you on again thank you beatrice thank you ian